Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that. And maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket. So if I could ask you for one favor, that would be it. Now on to the show. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Wagner goes right to King Plattenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk, proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joe Lazito, and welcome to episode 118, part one of my chat with Cedric Lacroix. But as always, let's get to some business first. If you are on social media and you would like to connect with me or the show, well, Again, I guess this is, uh, I am the show, so if you'd like to connect with me and follow the show, the links for Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are in the show notes. You just need to click on that, and we will uh, and then connect, and we'll be connected. Now, I know over the past week or two, there's um, a new social media, Threads? Is that what it is? Threads? I don't know what it is. Um, 
I guess people are mad at Elon Musk or something. So now there's a new thing, Threads. Uh, I don't, I don't think I'll be joining that. Uh, so let's keep it to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And as I said, the links to all of those platforms are in the show notes. Also in the show notes, if you're interested in Islanders A to Z, that is a book illustrated by a local Long Island artist, Joe Marisich, who is the artist who designed the logo for this show. And that book is excellent. Uh, Joe Buono did the writing. Joe Marisich did the illustrations. It's a great book. It's a children's book, but you do not need to be a child to be entertained by it. And uh, the drawings, the illustrations, they're fantastic. And if you'd like to reach out to Joe for a uh, for a project, you can get at him on Twitter, at GraphicsJoker, or via the internet at loudegg.com, I guess. Obviously, Twitter's the internet as well. So uh, what the fuck am I talking about? Now, as I mentioned, I am a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, Each team uh, has at least one show on the network. So whatever team that you root for, whatever team that you stand for, how's that? How's that? Good one, right? Whatever team is your favorite team, there is at least one show on this network. So give it a try. I would be considered on the original content side, along with a few of my pals. Now, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. Let's see if it gains any traction amongst us. I am going to call myself and the next three gentlemen that I'm going to tell you about the four horsemen of the hockey podcast network in regards to the hockey fight genre of podcast we are the hockey podcast network for horsemen which i know my first buddy here darren will get a kick out of as i know he's an old school wrestling fan like myself the fourth line voice podcast with darren the aforementioned darren his latest episode is with Bo jawbreaker cornell he is one of the entrants in the ice wars contest that's coming up this saturday and um I'm not sure. I, I know they mentioned it in the episode. I, I didn't write it down. It is on pay-per-view if you're not in the, the Wyoming area where it's taking place. I don't believe it's on Fight TV anymore, and uh, I'll have to look into that as I'll be ordering it. Um, and I said it last week. I know sometimes people uh, people love to whine about uh, <laughs> certain things, and it's mostly the people who don't put out any content. And I know Darren's gotten a little heat in the past for oh, why do you have all these Ice Wars guys on? Well, for someone like myself, I'm glad he does because I don't know much about Bo Cornell. And well, I, as much as I know, I know from his episode with Bo, Jawbreaker, Cornell. So I, for one, am appreciative that he has these guests on. And uh, today is Sunday as I'm recording this, and he has not uh, uploaded a new episode yet. Um, usually the Sunday episodes are what I call the Sunday shit shows, and uh, they are basically... A summary of Darren's week. Um, usually he'll have a um, maybe a five toughest opponent, a player profile. But my favorite, without a doubt, is my week on the internet. So, uh, And I'm going to have a few of my own, uh, I guess, uh, although I wouldn't call it my week on the internet. But uh, a few things I want to point out. Well, I guess it's just one thing that I actually saw on the internet. But, uh, but we'll get to that. I'm... Uh, I'm flailing here, I guess. Also, check out the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. You've already been on it. 
you've already you know you have maybe you don't know you have but you have because if you've ever watched the hockey fight on youtube chances are it was on the fourth line voice youtube channel so uh, hit that subscribe button get all the fistic goodness that darren uploads and again check out the fourth line voice podcast Bo, Jawbreaker, Cornell is the latest episode, but I mean over 300 episodes of awesomeness. So uh, so check out the back catalog as well. Uh, The Five for Fighting podcast with Alec Olin-Salen, another proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network and proud member of Hit Club Hockey. They're the uh, brand that does his merchandise. Looks pretty cool. I definitely have to get a shirt or uh, well, probably not a hat. I usually, I probably rotate about three hats, but I definitely am going to grab a t-shirt at some point. His latest episode is with Kurt from Hit Club Hockey. Great episode, and I wasn't sure who Kurt was, but Kurt is the boss of Hit Club Hockey, so check that out. Real good interview and a real good background of the company and, and where they see the company going forward. So I would highly recommend checking out that episode and check out uh, the Five for Fighting YouTube channel, just like the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. Hit subscribe and check out the Five for Fighting podcast back catalog as well. Lots of great guests on there. Um, you can't go wrong. Can't go wrong checking that out. There's a few good ones on there. I, I of course, I don't. I'll tell you what. The one I said it. I've said it before in the past. If you're new to Five for Fighting, the episode to definitely check out is his episode with Pat Barton. Uh, that was that I think is my favorite episode of Alex. Uh, really, really great episode. I would check that out. I know he's also had Kevin Kaminsky on, Frank Bialowis. Um, but I would say if you're gonna if you're new to the show, check out the Pat Barton episode. Uh, also, recently reemerged. From the Shadows, Jordan from the Maritimes, Five in a Game podcast. Uh, Latest episode is just uh, him giving you an update on the current status of the show and where the show is going forward. Also brought Ryan Hans, top five toughest opponents. So I don't think uh, Jordan's going to put out an episode for a bit. Uh, I think he's back home in the Maritimes spending time with his family before he heads back out west to Alberta and uh, and gets back to work. So, But I think he's going to have some more frequent episodes come the fall. So, uh, so those three guys and myself, I'm calling us the four horsemen of the Hockey Podcast Network. And one other guy from the Hockey Podcast Network, the most high profile of us all, Terry Ryan. Uh, world-renowned author, first-round draft pick of the Canadians, and uh, an absolute beauty of a personality, star of Shorzy. The guy does it all. Um, his latest episode, uh, he had part two of his conversation with his pops, Terry Ryan Sr. Now, if you're not familiar with Terry or his dad, Terry Ryan Sr. is one of the great storytellers of the 21st century, the 20th century, uh, the guy has the guy has stories for years, and uh, and it's not just hockey. They're both very much into music, and um, and basically it was a twenty questions, two part episode with Senior, and it's great stuff. And uh, I love those guys, so definitely check out um, Tales with Tr. That's the name of the show. And uh, Terry's got some big stuff coming up. He's got uh, uh, Tonic coming out, I think, in the fall. I'm just really happy for him. He's a great guy and, uh, you know, he's had his ups and downs and, uh, he's thriving right now. So I'm really happy for him. So, uh, so definitely check that out. I am a game used game worn hockey gear collector, uh, mostly New York Islanders, Quebec Nordiques and their uh, affiliates. But as I've always said, if it's a guy who has fought 
guy who's played the uh, role of rough stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm probably, I'd love to hear if you have anything uh, for sale or for trade. Uh, today's guest, Cedric Lacroix, I was fortunate enough to meet, uh, finally meet uh, Seti in person this year, and he was generous enough to give me a stick. But I am, uh, you know, anyone has any Cedric Lacroix stuff out there to look in the part with, even his pops, Dan. Uh, I've, I go back with Dan a long way. You got a Dan Lacroix uh, stick, gloves, bucket, whatever. You know, shoot me a message. Maybe it's something that uh, that we can definitely work out. I'd like to congratulate episode 25 guest Yannick Turcotte. Uh, Turks, man, this is uh, this guy's old school to the core. Uh, probably one of the scourges of the East Coast League. Uh, one of the toughest guys out there. Uh, what a great kid, and uh, congrats to him on re-signing with the Adirondack Thunder. Every year, I say, I got to get up, I got to meet this guy in person. Uh, great kid, and uh, something usually happens, whether I can't make it or he's uh, he's injured or suspended, of course. Uh, but I, I, this is the year, this is the season. Uh, I'm going to get up there early this year. I'm not missing an opportunity to, to meet Turk in person, and... Um, what a great kid. And I don't know if the uh, contract gives him a, a camp invite to the devil's camp or, or Utica. I don't know. Hopefully it does, but uh, worst case he's back with Adirondack and um, absolute fan favorite. And, uh, and I'm going to meet him this year. I promise you, I'm going to, I'll post pictures to prove it. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll go this one first. Uh, Thursday, the news broke that Andy Andrioff, uh, the Islanders, placed him on unconditional waivers for the purpose of a contract termination. And um, obviously, Andy's one of my favorite players that was in the organization. And uh, I did not like this news. It seemed a little suspicious, I guess, because uh, com he's coming off a great season in the American League. Um, part of me figured it was, it was him looking to sign somewhere else. Uh, and I was hoping, of course, it was somewhere in North America in the National League. But, uh, of course, that wasn't to be. Um, so that broke Thursday. Friday, news broke from a website in Russia that he's talking to H.C. Sieber of the KHL. And you know what? Like, for me, I met Andy uh, two seasons ago at the end of the season. Um Good guy, you know, talked to him for about five minutes. Really good guy. And not <laughs> I, I, I'm speechless here now because I'm kind of pissed off. On one hand, I, I'm happy that guys like Andy can have options to go play overseas and make better money than they'll make here. And also see different parts of the world, you know, um, you know, guys, guy like, um, uh, like Brandon DeFazio. Okay. Now he's played overseas for years. And if you go by his Instagram and, and, and his social media, he's making the most out of the opportunities that he gets to play overseas. And I'm sure he's making better money than he would make here. Um, a guy like Mike Dalhusen, who's, who's not North American, although he plays a North American style and he was here, he, he played several years over here. He's been all over the globe playing hockey. And that guy is definitely living the ultimate life. He, he's grabbed it by the nuts and basically is, is living every day 
to the fullest, no matter where he's playing. But selfishly, it sucks that a guy like Andrioff, who, by the way, this year was second in scoring on Bridgeport with 65 points in 69 games, including an American Hockey League leading 37 goals. This is a guy that plays with grit, a guy that plays with sandpaper, not afraid to drop the gloves, the definition of a power forward. And by the way, he's a center. How infrequent do you see toughness and skill from the center position? And this guy, in order to make decent money, has to go look overseas and is probably going to end up in Russia this year. But yet we'll... We'll take all the Europeans that we can get over here. We'll take them all. And, well, maybe they'll work out, and maybe they won't. But here you have a proven commodity that gets barely a sniff with the Islanders. Now, the Islanders are not Tampa Bay of a couple years ago, back-to-back champions. You mean to tell me that this guy couldn't get an extended look here? Now, I understand he's not going to supplant... Casey Zizekas on the fourth line. Casey's he's a stud. He's a stalwart here, and um, that that fourth line is is epic here for the Islanders. Now they've made some signings recently. I don't know what's going to happen. If you might see some changes there, but you mean to tell me that Andy Andrioff couldn't have got a longer look? Maybe play the third line center position. Really? Are they that stacked that this guy couldn't get in and play third line center? Scored 37 goals this year. 37 goals. So we, so maybe at the NHL level, he's not going to score 37 goals. But if you give him, if you're giving him third line minutes, he's going to land. He's gonna, he's going to definitely pot some, and he's going to bring some grit, and he's going to bring some sandpaper. I, I just, you know, I get pissed off because it's almost like no matter what these guys do, it's it's not good enough. But the Europeans will get chance after chance after chance here until there's until they've exhausted everything. And it, it just pisses me off. It really does. This fuck, you know what? Andy, I don't know if you listen. If you listen, I hope everything works out for you over in Russia. I'm really sorry to see you go, and I want to thank you for your contributions to the Islanders organization in the last few years because I'm going to cut it off here because it's if I keep going, it's just going to be me rambling on ad nauseum about the double standard, the the way that that the hockey world views the European players over here and takes the North American guys for granted. It, it sickens me. But, Andy, good luck over there. Um, something that boggled my mind this week that I saw on Twitter um, – dealing with Josh Bailey and um, Josh Bailey. If you're an Islanders fan, you know, he's been here a very long time and it's obviously once Barry Trotz left, you kind of, the writing was on the wall this past season. Um, It didn't seem like Josh really fit into the Lane Lambert system. Although I'll, I'll say it. I still think this is the Lula Marillo system. I really like Lane Lambert, and I know I'm in the a small minority of Islander fans who like Lane Lambert, who want to give Lane Lambert a chance. Um, 
I happen to think he's going to develop into a quality head coach. But I think part of the reason why Lane Lambert is here, because I think Lou can still pull the strings at some point. And that's not an insult to Lambert. I think that's just the way Lou does things. Lou has to have his hands in everything. So you mean to tell me that Lou Lamarillo, for something as innocuous as he won't release the jerseys to be sold or the equipment, he just won't. He'd rather them sit in mothballs. Something that you would think a GM shouldn't worry about. If he's worried about that, now you're going to tell me that he's not, he doesn't have his hands all over the lineup and who plays and who doesn't play. I find that hard to believe. So I think this is a Lamarillo thing. Uh, I like Josh Bailey. Again, I know I'm in the minority. Um, guy's taken a lot of heat over the years, and uh, a lot of it to me is unwarranted. But aside from that, this week I saw something on Twitter. Like I said, that absolutely <laughs> it, it 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 screams. It absolutely screams. 2023 NHL hockey fan, uh, hockey fans on social media. Someone suggested that why hasn't Josh Bailey issued a statement thanking the fans or thanking the organization? Something like, Josh Bailey, what is he waiting for to thank people? And I think to myself, well, this is fucking hilarious, okay? Josh Bailey, I, look, back when everything happened to me uh, in 2011, I, I've said it a million times, the Islanders uh, and the players, they were so unbelievable to me. Josh Bailey was one of those guys, always class act, and, and he just he just uh, seems like a class human being, okay? But now what this person was suggesting, or people, so let me get this straight. This is a guy who was essentially fired from a job that he's had the last 14 years, 15 years, and um, doesn't know where his future lies, let's say. And I, I believe what uh, I read somewhere where he was on vacation with a couple of the other Islander players, him and his family and their families, whatever. But now what, what this person wondered aloud and I've said it a million times, the good thing about social media is it gives everybody a voice, but the worst thing about social media is it gives everybody a voice. So Josh Bailey, what Josh Bailey is supposed to do is after he basically gets fired from the Islanders, now he's got to go and, and say, look, I know we're supposed to go on a family vacation, but I really need to go on social media and thank the fans. Well, Aside from that not making sense, Josh Bailey is not even on social media. And it but now I guess what he's supposed to do to appease uh, I even if it's a small percentage of fans, the guy avoids social media like a lot of the players do. And he's supposed to create social media accounts or maybe use his wife's account who I, I I'm sure she's on there. I don't know what platforms, I don't know. Um, he's supposed to use these accounts to thank the fans. When this guy got tortured by the fans for the majority of his career here, you go to an Islander game, I mean, the guy is just harassed unmercilessly, okay? 
and abused by the fans since he got here. Okay, and these are probably the fans that are going, well, how come he hasn't thanked us yet? Are you fucking kidding me? I, I mean, really, are you kidding me? Okay, now, I will say that Josh Bailey is a class person. And I'm sure at some point, once everything gets settled, is he going to retire? Is he going to sign with a different team? Is he maybe coming back to the Islanders on a, a, a lesser deal? Maybe work out something where a similar role to uh, Matt Karkner, where Matt Karkner finishes career in Bridgeport, but it sort of brings him into the assistant, assistant coaching down there. Any number of things could happen with Josh Bailey. Maybe after that stuff is settled, maybe he'll put something out there thanking the fans through the Islanders PR or something like that. But does anything scream 2023, look at me, it's all about me, hockey fan, then, hey, where's Josh Bailey's statement thanking us? What Josh Bailey really should be doing is thanking the percentage of fans who have stood by him and rooted for him and supported him since he's an Islander, but also saying fuck you to the fans who just shit on him from day one. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't. If Josh Bailey's going to issue a statement, he's going to thank the fans for their support. Um, but just the idea, just the idea that Josh Bailey, what is taking him so long to issue a statement of thanks to the fans? I, I mean, is I don't have a 20-year-old brain. I don't have the brain of an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 25-year-old. Is this Is this really the mindset of these young people, of these new age fans. You've got to be kidding me. This is a guy, I think he's got four or five kids. He's got a wife. And I'm sure he's made a nice living for himself. But as I said, he's basically been fired from his job and he's got to worry about what comes next. But no, hold on, honey. Hold on, kids. I have to appease a small percentage of fans on social media and thank them for their support. This this mindset, this thought process is completely foreign to me. And uh, for those of you who are an Islander fans, for those of you who are not on social media, I had to share that with you, that this is the kind of thing that these modern day fans think about. Absolutely fucking mind boggling. So anyway, this brings up brings us to today's guest, Cedric Lacroix. Now, I'm really happy that I was able to interview Cedric because uh, his father, Dan, and I go back a very long way uh, to his days in Binghamton with the Binghamton Rangers. And if you really want to know what a tough hockey team is, go back uh, at, on Hockey DB and look at some of those teams that Danny LaCroix played on. Uh, I think we even touched on it in his episode when I, when I interviewed him way, way back, episode number 17. And we were talking about some of the guys that Danny played with, like Rudy Poshak, Dennis Vial, Ty Domi, uh, you know, Peter Fiorentino. There were always tough players. Uh, I think he, he probably played with Langdon down there too. Um, Danny is tough. Danny is a very, very tough guy. Can play too. Again, as I mentioned with Andreoff, you get that toughness and skill uh, from the center position. Um, and, and Danny eventually, when he uh, was a regular in the NHL with the Flyers, he was the center of the Dan line with uh, Dan Kordick and Scott Daniels. Um, 
But for as tough as Danny was, he'll tell you I was the sixth or seventh option most nights in terms of ranking the toughness, which really made him the first or second option because I think he was the one who said it. If you're looking for a guy to fight and your choice is Dan Lacroix, Rudy Poshek, or Ty Domi, well, who are you going to go after? And uh, Dan was a great guest, and I urge you, when you're done listening to uh, to the episodes with Cedric, go back and listen to the episode with Dan. Uh, just a great guy. And uh, so when Danny eventually found his way into coaching, he spent a few years here with the Islanders uh, as an assistant coach. And uh, when he was here, Cedric was just a kid. And uh, so uh, Cedric spent some of his formative years here on the island. And uh, the cool thing is, if you listen to uh, Danny Lacroix's interview and then you listen to Cedric Lacroix's interview, um, obviously they're a different generation. And you they have pretty distinct and different hockey journeys that led to their uh, pro careers. Um so, I, I, like I said, I think Cedric was an amazing guest. Dan is an amazing guest. They're both very uh, personable. They have great personalities, very colorful. And uh, the thing that I'm, I'm proud of is this is the, uh, the first father and son guest combo, although separate episodes, but uh, I was able to interview a father and a son, and it's the, they're the first set father-son set to be on Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. The cool thing is, if things go according to plan, they're going to be joined by another set of father and son combo uh, in the coming weeks. So I haven't recorded anything yet with the uh, with the other half of that combo, um, but uh, but I'm looking forward to it. So um, so stay tuned for that. But uh, folks, you came here to listen to the story of Cedric Lacroix. This is part one. Part two will drop next week. So uh, I want you to enjoy the conversation. Part one of my conversation with the man known as Sweet Seti. I hope you people enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I have now officially hit a milestone on Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. I, uh, I have today with me Cedric Lacroix, who uh, some of you probably know is the son of episode 17 guest and good pal of mine dan lacroix so this is uh the first father-son combo and honestly i can't think of two better guys to uh to have be the father and son in here so uh so cedric how's it going today it's going great uh first of all honored to uh be a part of that combo uh i didn't even realize that so uh Thank you for having me on, first and foremost. And just a Tuesday here, just finished about two hours of training. Uh, that that grind never stops. And um, now just uh, enjoying the beautiful weather out here in uh, Shefford, Quebec. Excellent. Now, I'm glad you brought up Shefford because uh, I, I've seen on most of your stuff, it says that you were born in Shefford. But I've also seen places where it said you were born in Providence. So can you kind of clear that up for me right from the beginning? Yeah, obviously. Uh, so I was born in Providence. My dad was playing for the Providence Bruins at the time uh, in the 94-95 the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes elite prospects or whatever, they just whatever town I'm from, it says uh, where you're basically where you're born. But uh, no, I was born in the U.S., dual citizen. I spend my off seasons about an hour east of Montreal here in Shepherd. And uh, truthfully, haven't been back to Providence other than uh, to either play the the Providence Bruins or uh, or play Providence College. So, 
Uh, that's that's about all I've got for Providence. <laughs> but it's nice. It's nice that we have uh, we have you on our side of the border here, good American boy. Even though you have that nice accent. Yeah. No. I like I said. I I came up uh, kind of on mo- mostly the American side of the of the minor hockey and all that. So uh, it's people ask me, you know, are you more American or Canadian? It's always a, it's always a tough one to answer. I, I feel like I'm really uh, in between. Obviously, two French Canadian parents. But uh, having played, uh, having played NCAA um, in my junior hockey in the USHL, uh, obviously uh, a lot of American uh, stuff there. So, oh, you just say that you're North American. That covers both sides. I'm going to start saying that I, I'm, <laughs> I'm North American. I hope maybe a few of those people will think I'm Mexican too. I'll work out. You got to work on your accent. Yeah. So. Um, so the the first question I normally ask people is uh, if I had a time machine and I went back in time um, to to when you were a young boy playing on the rinks or the ponds or whatever like that, uh, who were you as a kid? Who did you try to emulate? Now, people might think the obvious answer is your dad, but a lot of times it's not that way because we I saw your dad as a player. People saw your dad as a player. He was just dad to you. So you may have had another player that you kind of liked as a kid. Who would that have been? That's always, always a tough question. Uh, obviously, I've always I always watched the the players for the the teams my dad coached, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, like I remember I remember liking uh, Richard Zednick for some reason on Long Island when I was young. I obviously I didn't try to emulate who he was as a player. I just liked watching him play. I remember him being with the Canadians, and then he came over to uh, Long Island. So, um, other guys I liked. Um, I always liked the guys who were nice, nice to me when I was yeah. around the locker room. Like I remember uh, uh, Bruno Gervais. He was, and to this day, I actually saw him last week. Just one of the nicest, uh, genuine people in in the business. So obviously, I'd always pull for for a guy like that. Um, other than that, uh, that's it's it's a tough one. I. I obviously I, I liked Anze Kopitar for some reason. I don't really know why. Yeah. Uh, I remember him early in his career. I liked I liked the way he you know big uh, big center. Um, but I was always back and forth D Ford, right? So I, I didn't really have a, a player that I really really idolized. Obviously, I my my dad. I watched his fight tapes that he has here at home when I was younger. So um, I looked up to to him. Oddly enough, I've I've never I can't really think of a time I've seen my dad play uh, like a shift. Like all the videos he has are just fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would love to, to to find some 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 tape that a uh, tape just him him on a regular shift. I feel like that would be interesting to watch. Uh, but that's that's pretty much that. You should check some of those fight tapes because uh, if you open them up and you look at the part where the reels are, you might see my name on some of them because uh, I think you got a decent amount of those from me back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you made a really nice one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That was, and the music selection, everything about that was impeccable. I, I listen, I love your dad. Honestly, he was the fact that he, first of all, he was underrated tough. Like I think people knew how tough he was, but he was underrated tough because a lot of times he wasn't the top guy in the team. I mean, I'm sure that he's spoken to you about those bingo teams he played on. Those were just unbelievable teams at a real unbelievable time in the American league. But 
aside from that, like, you know, to have a guy that tough be a center, those were so few and far between, you know, guys like him and uh, Kevin Kaminsky and Mark Jansen. Those guys are so rare. And uh, on top of that, you know, obviously your dad is, is a great guy. So I, I, I always loved when your dad uh, would come to town with the different teams and then having him play the one game here on the island was really cool for me. Well, it's funny you mentioned that about having, you know, depth in terms of toughness because uh, it's always nice as a, as a tough, as a tough guy to uh, know that you're not, that, that pressure is not all on you. And uh, when you have, teammates that you know can stand up for themselves and uh, stand up for each other it's easier to kind of you know be that extra you know 10 20 percent uh tougher so i mean ultimately team toughness is always tougher than than one tough guy so i think uh if you were to ask my dad that i think you'd you'd probably give a lot of credit to those guys he played with uh for you know making him being giving him the opportunity to, to kind of play his role even more so. I think the cool thing is, and, and we'll get to this later on in your career, where your dad had the uh, the Dan line in Philadelphia, uh, you played on a pretty similar line in Tucson, and uh, we can go, we can compare that later on when we get there. But that, especially, you know, back then, their toughness was everywhere, and the way the game is now, to have a line like you played on in Tucson, and like I said, we'll get to that later. Uh, it, it's just for someone like me, it's just such a joy to have there because it's so rare yeah. nowadays. It's rare to have three guys on a team, let alone one line nowadays. So that yeah. was uh, that was fun. I, I remember we talked about that this year when I saw you in Hartford. But uh, uh, for those of you that follow uh, Cedric on social media, you may know his uh, handles are Sweet Seti. And uh, where does that name come from? I was at a USA festival uh, in uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, I think I was, I think it was my 14 year or 13 or 14 year. And obviously it's a week tournament. We need to get to know each other really quick. And we, we needed to come up with something catchy so that we could remember each other's names. And it just, we were in a circle and they got to me and I, I was like, okay, what, what's kind of catchy? I just kind of on the spot, sweet steady. And the rest of that week, guys were calling me Sweet Seti. It kind of just <laughs> stuck. A couple of years after, when I made a Twitter account, I was like, all right, Sweet Seti. And then went to the USHL. And then, you know, certain people, Twitter was bigger at the time than Instagram. Yeah. And so people would just kind of always connect me with my with my handle. And then Instagram came out, Sweet Seti. And then I just like, well, you know, it's kind of catchy. I like it. So... I just always uh, kept with Sweet Seti. Now, one of the cool things that uh, that I love about the sport is when guys get to a certain level like you have. And um, when you look back at their youth hockey, and uh, I think people that are, are fans of the sport know all about that peewee tournament in Quebec. And uh, you took part in that. What do you What do you remember about that tournament? Well, I remember being really, really happy uh, making that team because obviously – for a French Canadian living on Long Island, uh, it was a tryout. Basically, the, the you had you know the Gauls and the Royals, and I actually wasn't on either team because I had showed up late. I was the first year I was on Long Island, and because the training camps for minor hockey in the U.S. are right after the season, and I showed up in in uh, September, there was no space for me on on the team. So I actually was playing a, a, a double A, I think. Uh, they were called uh, the Ice Cats, maybe. 
maybe. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't know. Yeah, I don't really remember. It was a double A, and I remember just going to camp, not really uh, sure if I would make it or not. And when I saw my name on that list that I was going to the Pee Wee Quebec tournament representing the Junior Islanders, I was so happy. Uh, probably one of the highlights of my Meyer hockey. And then obviously going to Quebec, uh, really, really cool, kind of with the people from Long Island, having been that I'm French-Canadian, and it was really cool. I remember this one story. We were at the Val Cartier, I think it's called. It's like you, you big snow slides, right? And boys being boys, I think we were going up the wrong way or something. And so they, they uh, we basically all got in trouble, us uh, young lads. And they started, guys started screaming at us in French. And I was the only one that could kind of could speak French. So I ended up kind of mediating uh, the situation in French with, with the guy. I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. But no, the hockey side of it too was uh, unbelievable. You know, I wish smartphones and, uh, cameras were just more of a thing back then because unfortunately I feel like I don't have as much uh, memories as I'd like to but no really great experience do you have any of the hockey cards that I know that the, the players get the hockey cards do you have any yeah. of those yeah I got, I got a hockey card just some embarrassing hair <laughs> uh, the wings were in style back then so um, I just I wing in it and uh so i do have uh, i think i have those somewhere up there yeah we so, would actually trade we would actually trade with each other so i think somewhere somewhere uh somewhere also the pins the pins are huge yeah. mm-hmm. so i have uh unfortunately we only had like little islander ones yeah but i ended up trading uh trade somehow getting a pretty nice collection which is still up there i have these big pins up here uh unbelievable honestly the those detroit teams some of the european teams come and had these crazy pens the size of my head that you can like spin. And I can only imagine today. I mean, I'm sure now they're like, they're probably like led screens and stuff. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. I can only imagine. Uh, now I believe one of your teammates on that team was uh, a former guest, uh, Jimmy Maz. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Big Maz. So I just want you to know, I reached out to Jimmy when I told him you were going to be on here and I said, uh, you know, tell me something, uh, about SETI here that um, maybe people don't know. And uh, he told me that uh, you enjoy golf, um, but that he's a much better golfer than you are. Uh, is that true or not? No, I, I think last time we I played with the town of Oyster Bay golf course, I think he might've shot 120. So uh, <laughs> no, he, 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 I, I think I'm uh, I'm more of a student of the game than him. That's for sure. Um, but he he's he lives Long Island in the summer and it's mm-hmm. not cheap there. So right. I, he he has a he has a reason to uh, to maybe you know I know if I was living on Long Island I probably couldn't afford the same amount of rounds I could here. So but to answer your question, I haven't played with him in four three or four years. So we'll have to maybe get get around it and then we'll uh, we'll let you know how that one goes. Well, another thing that you can do on Long Island that is a lot cheaper than golf is uh, go to the beach. He said that he remembered that you loved boogie boarding, but again, that's something he does better than you as well. Probably that that one I'll give to him. Okay, you know, if, if, if being being better at me than boogie board is honestly, I he he, he could take that one. <laughs> uh, and and the final question that I asked him that he hasn't answered yet, and I wonder if there's a reason. Maybe you can shed some light on this. 
Uh, I asked him who's better looking. He didn't answer that one. Better looking. Jimmy's a tall guy. He's a tall guy. He's got, you know, he's got some good features on him, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh I don't. I think he's been single for a while, unless uh, I'm not up to date on his love life. But yeah, that's. Um, I don't keep up on the love lives either. I, who's better looking? I think that's very subjective. It's very subjective. I'm sure my girlfriend would say I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, and uh, <laughs> and I don't know. That's that's a good one. Okay, it's a toss. It's a toss up. Honestly, he. It's a it's a toss up. I think I probably got a. I think I probably hit the gym a little harder. Yeah. Um, but he's very charismatic. So, oh, you know that that takes that takes that takes some space too. So. Oh, 100%. So this is your opportunity, maybe. Um, now I, I want to keep in mind what I usually do when I interview guys is I try to go back to either some of their former or current teammates and ask them for stories. And again, I'm not looking to get anyone in trouble. So, uh, Maz is the first guy that guys actually had to think about. Because uh, apparently he likes to have a good time. So, do you have any uh, funny or memorable Jimmy Mazza stories? I think, I think a few years back we, uh, I try I try to make my way out to Long Island once a once a summer, and with COVID, unfortunately, you know the boards it was a little complicated, so. I haven't been back in three years, so I I think my last Jimmy Mazza story would have to be. I I know he I know he goes hard. I, three years ago, I think we were out in Huntington uh, with his group of friends. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jimmy likes alcohol, so <laughs> not 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 in a bad way. No, we all do. not 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 excessive, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like I said, just good, good, honestly, good energy, nothing too specific, uh, on, on that front. But I will say, uh, if you follow him on social media or you have him on Snapchat, I feel like I, I, uh, I could probably think of some stories just from his, that I'm not involved in just yeah. from his, cause I, every time he posts a story, I see it on a, I wake up Sunday morning and I see he's got something up. I know it's probably going to be pretty entertaining, uh, usually on a bike late night somewhere. I remember when he was at Canisius, uh, he was at, he was living at the hockey house and I think they would throw some pretty good ones there. Uh, he would wake up, the house would be a mess and I would look at his tape like, Oh boy, I'm, I'm happy. I don't live there. Jimmy definitely does not get cheated in life. He gets absolutely every ounce of life possible. Yeah, Absolutely. So, uh, so you had brought up your your minor hockey earlier when when you came here to Long Island. So, what brought you here to Long Island was uh, was your dad getting the job with the Islanders, assistant coach, uh, and I think he played two seasons with the Gulls. Correct? Uh, yes. yes. Okay. My my uh, first and my first and second year Bantam. Mm-hmm. Now, does does having a dad that uh, was a former pro and coach of the Islanders, does that have any extra cachet here when, when you're playing, you know, the minor hockey here on the Island? No, not really. I mean, I know, I know minor hockey is very political, uh, especially the U S some organization obviously are ready to take some kids for probably sponsor reasons and 
when you grow up and the parents know each other and there's a new one that new person that comes along and they have to cut someone else. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough. Minor hockey is not, it's never easy or fun to deal with mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to that business side of things. You know, at that age, I don't, I don't really think so. Mm-hmm. To be honest, he wasn't there much. Obviously he's got right. his own season going on. Right. So I was right. usually a kid on tournaments going with the other families, staying at the, uh, at other guys' hotels, rooms, and stuff. So, um, I I don't think it had had much to do with with anything or how involved he was. Really, I think my dad with my hockey, he's always kind of stayed in his lane. Yeah. From my knowledge, he's never really got involved with my coaches or anything. For that matter, he's never really coached me uh, in terms of being my official coach, other than a, a tournament or two in the summer. So, um. From what I remember, he was kind of always in his lane, and I was in mine. I guess uh, would be cur- what I'd be curious to know is um, because hockey is nomadic in nature, whether you're a player or a coach, um, and and your dad was always very sought after, you know, as a player and then later as a coach. How was that kind of moving around place to place? I know I remember when I was a kid, I think we moved from uh, Queens to Long Island when I was 14. And that seemed sort of traumatic at the time because you're leaving your friends. And for, for you, it seemed like you were probably going place to place, maybe until college, basically, I would think is maybe when you got settled. But how was that growing up? I mean, on one hand, you're meeting a lot of new kids. You're making a lot of new friends. But on the other hand, you're also leaving a lot of friends behind at various times. How was that? Well, that's a good question. I actually have a list in my notes. I think I've lived over, and this is before college. I think I've probably lived 15 to 20 different places Wow. before, before the age of, uh, before the age of like 16 or mm-hmm. something like that. So. Yeah. I actually don't know the exact number, but um, it was a little difficult, especially uh, early on. My dad would sign, let's say I would start minor hockey here in Quebec, and then my dad would sign a contract. And then at Christmas, you know, the family would move to, one year we moved to Atlantic City, New Jersey, right? So then you're, you're, you're going to a new school, uh, and then you're too late for minor hockey. Obviously at that age, I was pretty young, you know, that's 2000 and 2001. So it's not the end of the world. If you're not on a hockey team, sort of say, you know, you, you can still go on the ice with, with my dad after practice. Mm-hmm. And then the year prior to that, it was the same sort of thing, you know, here until Christmas and then going to England the rest of the season. So, um, I don't remember it being too difficult, at that age, where it was probably a little bit more difficult, it was going from, I had spent three or four years in New Brunswick. After my dad re- retired, he had got a coaching jo- uh, coaching job in Moncton, New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the Maritimes, um, people are a little bit more slower paced, mm-hmm. more relaxed. Um, obviously, I was going to in a, a French school, and then he got the job in Long Island. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up going from Moncton, New Brunswick to <laughs> Long Island, New York, yeah. right? In my mind, those are like the two total opposites. Mm-hmm. So that was probably a big, a little, a little bit of an adjustment at first. Mm-hmm. Um, the Obviously, going from a French to an English school, 
uh, you're 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 showing up in a new school. I, I got acquainted with you know other guys pretty quick, being that athletes usually tend to connect with other athletes. And uh, the minor hockey part was was okay. Obviously, um, the 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 teams the '94 batch of mm-hmm. in Long Island were okay. We didn't have a big crop, so that was okay. Um, and then actually, during my high school years, I ended up doing five high schools in four years, and Jeez. that was solely for that was solely from for my own career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I left. So my dad got a, my after my after my eighth grade year, he got a job in Hamilton, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't know if I want to continue my minor hockey on Long Island, obviously with the the politics and all that. So I ended up going to a boarding school in Lake Placid, uh, New York, called Northwood. I went there a year, and then from there, uh, I, I was supposed to go back my second year, but then I ended up uh, doing. Uh, a year mid triple A in Quebec. Mm-hmm. I went to camp just to skate, just to, and I, the, the assistant coach was Felix Pave. Okay, and then uh, head coach um, was who was the head coach um, Martin Bernard, who was a great head coach. He coached mm-hmm. me junior uh, after that, and I was like, wow, I really like this. It's really organized. Uh, you know, they just breathe shit hockey there. So I'm like, okay, this is where I want to be, mm-hmm. but. The issue was now I would have to go back to a French school. So actually the deal was I would be there until my season ended. And as soon as the season ended, my mom and my sister saw Long Island. So I ended up kind of teaching myself through textbooks. I don't really know how they let me do that. <laughs> but I had a tutor once a week. And then she just kind of organized a plan. And I would be in a class with a teacher speaking French, teaching myself English. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. That's and then amazing. season ended. Back to Long Island, so that I'm at three schools, and then junior year I was in Ottawa, Ontario. Senior year in Sioux City, Iowa. Uh, so then, right there, that's five high schools in, in four years. So, but Jeez. like, it, it sounds worse than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's maybe the one year in in Ottawa was a little bit more difficult because that junior league there, all the teams are really close together, so you're not going to school with your teammates. I was going to school. Everyone kind of lives at home. I was going to school with other people who maybe play on a different team. Or mm-hmm. we, I think we were only like three or four guys, hockey players, junior A at that school. Right. So you're not really representing the school. You're not, rep- you're just kind of a, a new, a new person at the school. Right. So mm-hmm. it's tougher to make con- connections in that, uh, in that sense. But other than that, it was actually pretty pretty smooth transitions. Oh, okay. I mean, I still, I mean, I, I got to give you a ton of credit for that because that's, I think for a kid, that's a lot to ask. I mean, that would be a lot to ask for an adult, but, you know, maybe it's, you know, I would say probably a lot of it has to do with your family. If you have that tight-knit family, it makes things, it makes transitions like that a lot easier. Yeah. One, one thing I will say is I think those situations prepared me for um, later in life for for just uh, how, how to be able to handle, and, you know, other situations might be more difficult for other, certain people than myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel pretty comfortable now walking a room with 20, 30 people I don't know. Um, and to just be present, be myself, not pretend to be something I'm not just mm-hmm. because of so many times 
whether it's in my pro career, putting in, put, be, being put in difficult situations, or as a young lad, um, it, it's kind of kind of alleviates that pressure for other aspects of life. And I feel like I give a lot of credit for for the my upbringing uh, for giving me those you know that that kind of feeling. It it makes you grow up in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to think so. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to say the name of the team, the uh, the team with Felix Podvin. Is it the uh, – well, I'll try. I won't say the, the town or whatever, but is it the Cantoniers? Cantonier de Magog, yeah. Oh, yeah, it sounds I, – I, the way I said it sounded exactly like you said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Canton, you are far off, actually. Well, for Cant- – uh, Cantoniers. Cantoniers? Yeah. Cantoniers, I guess, in English. Yeah, but, but the way you, if you could say it with the French accents better. Well, I was going to say the way you said it, it sounded way smoother than when I said it. You sounded like a Porsche, and I sounded like a pickup truck. Uh, well, a lot of people would rather have a pickup truck, so that works <laughs> out. So after that season, uh, you were actually drafted uh, in the queue by uh, Gatineau. Um, yeah. Was that something that was uh, like uh, on your on your plate? Was that ever an option, or did you always uh, figure you were going to go the college route? Uh, it was obviously my dad had coached in Moncton, major junior. I was around it four years for when you're a young guy like that around that, um, environment. Uh, you were like, wow, you know, those guys are superstars for you and that's what you want. Um, I think for being the type of player I am, I think, um, the college route, I knew that it would give me more time to develop, right? Because at junior, if you're, if you're at, let's say you play major junior, and at 20, if you're not ready to go, then it's tough to it's tough to find a pro contract at that age. Whereas, um, at you know at university, you're getting looks, uh, you're playing a high level hockey until you're 23, right? So that gave me three more years of uh, of development. But truthfully, um, I was drafted that year. I ended up going to camp right, for the rules, whatever, for uh, 48 hours, whatever. And I, I was actually a defenseman at the time, and I think they would have kept me maybe as a sixth or seventh defenseman, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to buy myself another year. Mm-hmm. If they really want me, that option will be there next year. If they don't want me, why would I want to go there anyways, right? Mm-hmm. So I figured I'd go junior A for one year, keep my eligibility open, uh, I ended up going to U- my first ever USHL camp uh, that summer. Jim in Dubuque, Jim Montgomery was the coach. Okay. Um, I had never been. This was before the uh, Gatineau camp, so okay. I had never been to a junior camp. I remember showing up there, and they had just won the championship their inaugural season the year before. So. I show up there and I'm lined up first face off against someone who had just been to the Anaheim Ducks development camp. I have my Canton year, the Nagug gear, and I'm seeing someone with a half visor, Anaheim Ducks gear. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> right off the spot, I'm like, I'm I am I am in I'm intimidated. I have my cage still. I don't really know, you know, I, I how to go about um doing this camp. I not even close. I don't even make that that last game. Um, and then obviously go play my year of junior A the year, the year after my goal is to play in the USHL. I, for me, the USHL was 
big, big goal. So this is actually a funny story. That year in Ottawa, once the season was over, I, need, I needed to stay another two months to finish my high school. And they have a, um, a system there in, in Ottawa where it's called co-op, where you get credits for doing a job. Mm. And there was a gym, uh, Greco, Greco's, which is a, uh, a gym right across the street from the high school um, that I kind of talked to. And I was like, hey, can I, can I, can, can I work out here and then work out slash work? Mm-hmm. And I would essentially get, I think, like English credits for doing so. <laughs> and um, so it was like, okay, I get to work out instead of going to school in my afternoons yet I'm still getting the credits for to get for for my high school credits Mm. so that spring I ended up being in the gym with one of their trainers five days a week an hour two hours crazy man man I had uh, I had the logo I was going to Sioux City's training camp and I had a logo printed on on my wall and I was just on a mission and kind of a you know, I had just I had one year of junior hockey under my belt, and I was like, okay, I'm becoming a little bit man. I had a crazy, crazy um, training. I showed up to that Sioux City camp on a mission, right? They had I was a defensive still. They had eight defensemen um, already lined up, four NHL, three or four NHL draft picks, and then returning guys. There was actually no space for me. I showed up to camp, and my first shift, my first game, I asked. Who, who's their toughest guy? Mm-hmm. Who was their fighter last year? We're going, all right. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started off my camp, challenging that that top that top guy, mm-hmm. and then we ended up having a scrap. Obviously, that set the tempo for the rest of the camp. Okay, now started turning some heads. Next game, I got high stick in the face. I started bleeding. The kid who high stick me. There's no real refs at these inter squad games, mm-hmm. so the kid that high stick me. Um, had a cage on. I drop my mitts. I grab his cage and I start pounding it, pounding at his cage. His cage gets indented. <laughs> so I, I go to the penalty box after, and the ref looks at me. He goes, "Whoa, whoa! You you got high stick. You actually get a penalty shot." <laughs> so I'm I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. I got my my hands are all bloody, but like, but I have to take a penalty shot. So then I, I wipe I wipe oh, I wipe the blood off my ears and. Um, and I just go, I, I go in and I, I ended up scoring a five hole goal, just like forehand five hole. So that, at that point I was like, okay, I've got two fights. I just beat the shit out of a guy's cage yeah. and I just scored <laughs> at that point. I was like, okay, I might have a chance here. And then two of their defensemen got caught stealing sticks in the spring when they were there, mm-hmm. got kicked out. That made a spot for me on six, seventh defenseman. And then, luckily enough, that was my door in, and um, yeah, from there, I just, I just grinded to, to, to just. That's when I really started to kind of get physical, fight a lot more, just to kind of stand in the lineup in order to make myself some space to do other things. That uh, is such a great. I mean, aside from the actual story itself, yeah. you have to make an impression. Like they have to know your, they have to know your name somehow. And... Exactly. You have to stand out. You have to find a way. And that's what I tell. I coach Bannon and Midget tournaments now. Mm-hmm. And these kids are going to tournaments. I go, you have to You have to do something that will make you stand out. Whatever that is, you, whatever you're best at, you have to do that. You know, if you're a skilled guy, you have to be 
obviously try to be a skill guy, but sometimes you have to, you, you, you may have that one intangible value that sticks out more to uh, others, whether that's being the most physical guy, whether it's having the balls to drop the gloves, uh, whether that's just forechecking like an absolute lunatic, mm-hmm. um, whether it's just, just being there, you just, you can't, if you're, if you're, if you're coming undrafted, you, you just can't be irrelevant, right? right? You just, that, that's the thing. Don't be irrelevant. Find a way to be relevant at that camp. That, that is such a great story. And, and it's a great, it's great that you can impart that to kids nowadays because you just, I mean, the odds are really stacked against you when you, when you lay it out, like you just did. I mean, that, that's phenomenal. That's a great yeah. story. And, and I'm happy. I actually didn't know that. I didn't know I was going to a camp with that amount. I just showed up thinking I'd maybe I had a, had a spot, but truthfully, if those two kids don't get caught stealing sticks, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they make space. Maybe they don't because despite that camp, I ended up being scratched when I, I came in back for the, for September, I ended up being scratched the first, uh, the first like three games. Right. So, um, you just had to do, I just had to do something to get my foot in the door. And then what's there, you know, patience, see the long-term vision. And for me at that, at that point, it, it worked out. And unfortunately, um, the way hockey works, sometimes you can create opportunities for yourself like that. And they don't always work out, not because you haven't earned them. Mm-hmm. It's just the way the reality with draft and uh, it is what it is. Uh, before we, we proceed with the with the USHL, I did want to ask you one thing about uh, your time in Kemptville. Uh, tell me about the uh, the Kemptville 73's Tin Cup. Oh, the Tin Cup. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was 16 or 17 at the time. The older guys were at the time doing, you know, just packing dippers and yeah. grizz and whatnot. And um, I think they just kind of collected all the, their grizz tins <laughs> and, uh, and made, it, made a trophy out of it. Pretty much the only trophy that team is co- coming near because fuck that. <laughs> we were bad. <laughs> we were bad. I think we have a record in, in the CCHL for most consecutive losses. <laughs> uh, but uh, but a couple good players, Blaine Byron and uh, Ben Hunt. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, great NHL career, and Blaine Byron's a excellent player in the DL. I think he just won a I think a, a championship in uh, Berlin. I think. Okay. Um, or actually, he won it before. I don't know if he won this year, but regardless, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was that was an interesting year out that year in Kempville. When you get to Sioux City, one of the guys you played with there, uh, Jake Gensel. Um, yeah. When you see that guy, and, and I ask this of all the guys when they when they play at a certain age with a guy who's gone on to do unbelievable things. When you watch that guy play at this young age, can you just tell uh, like how good he is and that he's probably destined for, for greatness? I actually couldn't, I actually couldn't tell because at that age, you don't know, you don't know what is NHL good. Yeah. You don't know what, what, what NHL vision is, or at least I, I didn't Mm -hmm. know. I didn't know what, what certain players qualities was at the level of an, of a pro. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I knew he was good. Yeah. Um, 
later on, I think at the end of the season, he's got the record for most consecutive points as a rookie. I think I can't remember the amount of games, but mm-hmm. um, looking back on it, if I remember the way he played with his head up, making these subtle plays like he still does with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. Looking back, okay, okay it makes sense. At that time, I thought he was good. Yeah, I didn't know he. I didn't know he was going to be NHL good. But like I said, now that I look back on it, I remember him making very subtle little plays with his head up. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, those are those are plays that, to this day, not everyone can, can make, especially not at that age, right? So, yeah. um, when you when I went into that camp, you know, I didn't know who was good and who wasn't. I didn't know who was supposed to be drafted and who wasn't. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's not like I had an eye out for that. I think right. he ended up getting drafted the year. Uh, I think he drafted that year. I don't think he was drafted the year before. That I don't know. Um, but he was supposed to come back our second year, and obviously mm-hmm. after that season, he went straight to to UNO, and mm-hmm. it's uh, history from there. And um, you were still a uh, defenseman, right, in Sioux City? Yeah, yeah. So actually, you'll like this story. Defenseman until... Um, January, January, a couple injuries. Like, hey, we heard we played four before. They 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 throw me on the fourth line, and um, this is this is a good story. I had oh, <laughs> oh my headphones keeps falling out. That's, Can you still hear me? Yeah, I got you. You're good. Um, I had um zero zero points in my first uh, forty games. Okay, my first year in Sioux City. And the only reason I was probably still around is because I was in high school mm-hmm. and I fought. Mm-hmm. I fought. I, I, I just took ownership. I'm like, okay, if I want to stay here, I have to have – I need to do something for the team. And that was my way of helping the team. Mm-hmm. Um, they asked me, hey, do you want to try You want to try going forward? You know, we're, we're down a guy. I said, absolutely. You know, whatever. I've always been that way. Wherever there's a spot, wherever I can play, I'll go. They yep. put me on the fourth line. Immediately, as a defenseman, you have to kind of be in control. You know, you have to be, you ha- you have to kind of scan the ice. You you can't get yourself out of position. Mm-hmm. As a forward, you're going to F one on the forecheck. Yeah, it's it's kamikaze mode. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to go on kamikaze mode, and um, from there they just yeah wow all right get up there get on the forecheck, and I think. My first assist at my 41st game, I was in front of the net, and I just got a shot, hit in the face, laying down, <laughs> taps it in. That was my that was my first assist. And um, actually, my 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 only assist. Yeah, I was going to bring my, that up. <laughs> my that was my only assist that year was getting a puck off the face, and then my my next. My next, uh, my ne- my first goal, I was in the penalty, penalty box figures, yeah, and we were up by a goal. They dump, they dump the puck, no icing because I'm in the penalty box mm-hmm. with two seconds left. I come out of the penalty box and it hits the backboard. I come in for a breakaway with two seconds left. I tap it in. Nice. And that's that's all I needed for the belief that okay, I can actually. It's actually not impossible, you know. I, I can I can score, and I ended up finishing I think the last fourteen games with six goals. So, yeah. Uh, again, that set the tempo for the year after. I was a little bit more offensive, but um, 
looking back on that, just fortunate that they 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 kept me around for for that long for at least to give myself an opportunity towards the end of the season to uh, to come. And I give a lot of credit to to Brett Larson, who's now the head coach at St. Cloud, mm-hmm. for giving me that opportunity. Um, he was he was terrific and always believe believed in me. He gave me the opportunity at at training camp and stuck with me that entire season. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, your first fight when you weren't fighting a teammate or a prospective teammate, um, if I have this right, was uh, against a player on Indiana named Alex Smith. And yeah. that was a pretty impressive debut. Now, you had a few scraps in camp there, what you were telling me, but uh, that's one of the few fights of yours from the USHL that, that's out there on YouTube. That was a pretty impressive fight. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I, I remember just being, we were in the corner, he cross-checked me, I cross-checked him, and we just looked at him like, yeah. And <laughs> we uh, we kind of, we just kind of went at it. I actually, actually fought Ross Olsen. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that next, so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that one's on YouTube it too is. somewhere. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ross, uh, you know, and, and him and I discussed this when he was on. For for everyone out there that thinks size is is such a good benefit, I think at a certain point it is. But as he and I discussed, at that age, being that tall and that lanky, it's not necessarily. Uh, a, Obviously, you can't teach size. That's the old expression. But he's still trying to grow into that frame. And at that point, uh, maybe not 100% comfortable to where, you know, later on down the road, he's filling in a little bit. And so that was – he's a lot taller than you are, but you still did very well in that fight. Yeah. I I don't uh, – I don't remember exactly um, that the fight. I know I did well. Yeah. Um, I don't really remember exactly that fight. There's some I remember more than others. Yeah. Um, I remember one game he hit me from behind, and then I had a teammate come in on my behalf. I don't remember if that was prior to our fight or after. Right. It might have been before. And then I was like, okay, this guy hit me. Fuck him. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like you said, uh, a lot of credit to Ross because yeah. he. Uh, and we ended up playing together in in Indy for uh, oh, yeah. for a month or two, mm-hmm. and he he again needed a way to get his his foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if uh, if you look at his statistics now and his role with with Orlando, uh, he's he's created a pretty darn good career for himself. Yeah, you know he retired, right? No, I, I'm not aware. Yeah, he retired. He, he took a job. Um... He's, I forget what his official title is, but for a, a school in Massachusetts with, uh, uh, you know, recruiting players and the director. That's awesome. And, yeah, it's a really good opportunity for him. Uh, but it's it's sad for us, like hockey fans, because, you know, we a guy like Ross, he brings so much to a team in the locker room, on the ice. So it's definitely a loss for hockey fans, but it's a great move for him. Well, the unfortunate reality of the ECHL is yeah. – Financially, it's it's doing that role for uh, that amount of money. It sometimes it's it's just not it's just not worth it. Yeah. You know, you're you're even even for some American League salary, you're putting your 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 bones and jaw on the line. And mm-hmm. a lot of these teams, they don't even uh, they they don't even want to help you after. Right. You know they. Right. 
you have to go in a, in a legal battle with them for um, workers' compensation. Mm-hmm. So you, you go on the ice, you, you provide for your teammates, you, you provide for their fan base, and then you break something, and then after you have, you have to fight for, to, to just to get what you deserve. And so, unfortunately, that's a, a reality of business. And um, I have a lot, of, a lot of respect for anyone who does that role, especially at the ECHL level, because, like I said, you're, you're, not, you're not getting what you deserve in terms of um, – what you put your body through in terms of what you get paid financially. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I'm happy, I'm happy for him as a person. Yeah. I think it's a great move for him, but as a fan of him on the ice, it's uh, it's a little sad right. to be losing another warrior like that out there. But uh, you know, I, 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 I've said it with him and I said it uh, with, with uh, Mike Cornell, who I know you're familiar with and, and, the, and yourself, you guys have this energy about you where I just feel like no matter what you end up doing, you're going to be successful. And I don't know if that's, I think a lot of it's probably upbringing, you know, the way, way you're raised by your parents, but you guys are part of a handful of guys that, you know, no matter what you do, I just feel like, Oh, they're going to, they're going to be successful. I think it's the work ethic and all this other stuff. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm sad he's not playing anymore, but it was definitely the smart move. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna actually reach out to him after uh, after this and mm-hmm. congratulate him because that that is uh, sometimes you know you you plan on playing mm-hmm. and uh, opportunities present themselves and um, you know if 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 he took that opportunity it's because it's a it's a it's a really good one so yeah uh, kudos for him and um, you you talked about Mike Cornell I he actually he was at Maine before and I and yep. I. I fought him once. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did me kind of a favor because yep. we—he was in—he was at Bridgeport camp, and I was at Hartford, uh, Hart, Hartford camp, mm-hmm. and I was—I was looking for one the entire bench. I was like, "Who wants one? Please, someone <laughs> give one to me. I need—I need to—I need, to, need to try to make an impression." And finally, I, ca- I came up to him on the faceoff. I was like, "Hey, man, you made a lump. I, I use the alumni card. Yeah. <laughs> you, you made a lot, man. I just, you want to, you want to just give me one, please. And mm-hmm. he, he was like, okay, just grab on here. Like yeah. just off the face off, we'll go and we'll, we'll, I'll give you your fight. So I, thanks. I never thanked him, but thanks Mike. <laughs> the, the best part is I had reached out to Mike because I know he was in Bridgeport. I think with the, when you were there for the one game and then, uh, he actually brought up the fight you had, and it's pretty much the way he described it is exactly the way you described it. You know, just uh, he said, he goes, you know, from one main guy to another, and uh, you know, I need this. And so that's phenomenal. I mean, you pretty much both described the same, uh, the, the uh, yeah. lead up to it the same way. So that's great. Yeah. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Kansas, 
call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Reese's. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus legal requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. You people have no idea how many times I had to try to record that, so I, <laughs> I should play that for you one day. Who was your rival in the um, in the USHL? Who was your biggest rival? Uh, Lincoln had a we. I must have for some reason Lincoln's always their their barn was always packed, mm-hmm. and they had a very very tough team. They had uh, uh, Devito, who was like pe- people would say he's a Golden Glove boxer. Oh, is that uh, right? I yeah, I don't know if that's a fa- I don't know if that's factual or not. That's what I was told. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Mike McKee. Um, Olsen was there and then Olsen was there and then they had, uh, wood on, uh, on defense there. Uh, I think he's Alaskan. He, he would go. So their games were always like, okay, some of the guys who get the Lincoln flu, you know, you get the Lincoln. <laughs> oh, I don't feel too good. And, um, uh, but they're, they have this insane, uh, this insane, insane intro, the best intro I've ever seen in hockey pro or really? not they have it you can it's worth seeing it on youtube if you go on youtube mm-hmm. and you uh, type in lincoln stars intro yeah um they have this big star come down like kind of like from the ceiling kind of down over they have fog going in the music's blasting they have a the acoustics in that build, build, building are insane mm-hmm. and so i felt like every time i was there like wow okay this is gonna go and Funny story about what one game there. Obviously, Mike McKee, uh, big big boy, mm-hmm. has fought at all levels. Uh, I, I I would never, I would not want to square up with that guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, be- my first year, we had this this guy uh, JT Stengline and Riley Bourbonnet. Mm-hmm. They kind of made a bet with me that like you you won't fight him. You you won't <laughs> fight Mike McKee. <laughs> you won't do it. You won't do it. And I was like. I was like, you know what? I hop on the bench on the neutral zone. I see he's about to dump a puck. I be lining. I finish my check. One of his teammates drops the gloves, grab me. Mike gets up. He goes, no, no, no. <laughs> I got rips his own teammates off, grabs me, and I was like, okay. I'm. I threw one. He threw one. He threw one, and I was like, okay. I felt just kind of like. This fight needs to be over before it starts, sort of thing. <laughs> uh, have it on the fight card, and then that's that was good. But uh, yeah, no, always fun playing in Lincoln. Well, you fought Devito twice that first year. Does he punch like a Golden Gloves boxer? 
the first time the first time he got me good mm-hmm. and then the second time i i got the better of him uh but i i can't remember i think he i think he might have been lefty okay. i'm not exactly sh- i'm not exactly sure mm-hmm. i know he would throw some lefts uh, but he wasn't the he wasn't the biggest guy either most guys i fought were bigger he was kind of around my size so oh, okay uh, in the game where you fought him for the second time, they also had a player named Zach Fry, who you didn't get a fighting major against, but he, uh, I guess he must have elbowed somebody and you went after him to, to exact some revenge. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. Okay. Okay. I don't, but it, it doesn't surprise me, but, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I don't remember it. Going into your, your second year with Sioux City now, you're, you're sort of established on the team. I would think you ended up that first year. You led the team at penalty minutes. Like you say, the last 13, 14 games, you know, seven, six goals. Um, so now you're not going in to make the impression that you had to do the first year. So going into the second year, uh, did you feel more comfortable going in? I know, uh, I know that you were given the A. Um, were you one of the team leaders? How did that differ from going into that first year? Well, um, so I, that at the end of that season, Brett Larson was supposed to come back. He ended up, ended up getting an associate head coaching job at uh, Ohio state. And we had a meeting before that, before he got that job, like you're going to come back next year. You're going to be a leader. You know, you're going to, you're going to be a, a big part of what we're doing next year. So that kind of instilled confidence that I was going to come back and, have my place on the team. He ended up, he, he ends up leaving guy coming in. Jay Verde uh, was coaching in France the year before. I don't know much about him. Uh, we end up. Um, so he ends up being my coach. No idea, you know, how he is, who, 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 who he was. Um, so that first training camp with him, I was like, okay, am I starting over again? So naturally I do what I did. I fought, I fought actually a guy that I played with uh, training camp the year before, or or our, our, uh, our captain that second year, uh, Olson, and then uh, not Ross, a different Olson, mm-hmm. Trevor, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I it turned out he turned out actually to be uh, one of the best coaches uh, I had, and he gave me op- the opportunity to be kind of like a third line uh center slash winger mm-hmm. and uh ended up being one of the most fun fun years of hockey I, I i had and jay ended up coaching me last year in tucson okay and uh and coincidentally when i signed in grand rapids the week after he signed like assistant in detroit oh wow okay and uh and jay was a jay was a one tough motherfucker mm-hmm um back in back in his day too like that that guy so he 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 appreciated a, a tough brand of hockey and so um it was thanks to him that I got that opportunity in Tucson last year actually so the uh the penalty minutes you still had triple digits but I was going to ask you about that because the second year you scored a few more goals you had uh, 11 assists hopefully not all 11 off the face uh, nope. 19 points in 54 games. You were fifth in the league 
in uh, in penalty minutes. So that's what I wanted to ask you. But that's why I wasn't aware of the coaching change. And you never know how you're going to click with a new coach. But it seemed like the you know from what you described that this was a, a very good fit for you. And obviously going forward, it definitely seems to have worked out for your career. Yeah, and and the biggest thing that uh, Jay did uh, for his players is is whether you're a first line guy or you're a fourth line guy, everyone felt valued. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember a speech he had one time, we had a 20 year old named uh, Austin Aduno and he, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't the most offensive guy, but um, he kind of said in a speech, like, I don't care if this guy gets has zero points the rest of the season. If he plays the right way, like, he's going to kill penalties for me and he's going to have a role on my team. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, you, you, as a third, fourth line, you know, you have a role. Hey, yeah. and, and that role and those guys were clear what their role was and they mm-hmm. felt important. They were put in situations important. And so that, that gives everyone on the team kind of a, a reason to, to want to play and they feel valued. And so, um, I'm, there's a reason why he's in the NHL now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's probably one of the, the reasons why is as, as a head coach, uh, making his players feel important and valued uh, is a big thing. I mean, that, and, and that is just a skill that, you know, managers have or in, in sports, a coach. Um, and that can translate into any sort of, you know, field because it's all about confidence, whether you're a hockey player, you work in business, you, whatever your occupation is, if you're confident in it, you're going to perform better. And if you know that your, your boss has your back, you're going to perform better. You, you just, and it probably makes you work harder knowing that you're noticed and you're appreciated. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always, it's always better working for someone who knows that you know you're you're bringing your best potential uh, aspect to that whether that job or that team your second year here so unfortunately none of your second season fights are on uh, on youtube or on video uh so I could throw out some names you could tell me if anything uh rings a bell anything uh good I got uh uh, Ryan Chase on Dubuque, uh, Michael Preston, Indiana, Joe Schultz, Sioux Falls, Trevor Morbeck of Muskegon, Tyler Durantes of Green Bay, uh, Derek Pratt, you fought twice, once in the regular season, once in the playoffs, um, yeah. and Ed McGovern of uh, Sioux Falls. I don't know if any of those kind of jog the memory a bit. All, all great fights. A mm-hmm. uh, couple square-ups couple probably me going hard uh pratt i remember pratt being a lefty kind of threw me off the first time uh knowing that he's a lefty that second game i think it was in the playoffs mm-hmm. maybe yeah second game was maybe. in playoffs playoffs yeah so he was he was a lefty um the other fights i i remember that uh the indiana one who was the indiana one uh preston yeah, I remember that that was right in front of their bench, mm-hmm. uh, or our bench. Sorry, and I remember okay. my roommate, uh, my roommates Joe Snively and Bobby Nardella. Like after, but like <laughs> did, that that was that was a fight that marked him because it was 
it was right in front of the bench. So they, they were just sitting there sipping on their Gatorade, <laughs> <laughs> looking at, looking at their roommate, throwing some, some knuckles around. But no, for what I remember, nothing, nothing crazy in particular, just good, uh, good fights. Usually that year I would fight, um, obviously kind of a better understanding if we're up a couple goals and, uh, do I want to give him momentum? No, if it was probably because we needed some momentum or one of their players did something dirty. And, uh, I, I was at that point where I didn't probably need to reach as much as I did the first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also received a five minute major for headbutting in a game against Waterloo. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I, with, with, uh, Peter, with, uh, Peter Krieger, who I ended up playing with, uh, <laughs> in the, uh, couple so we we chuckle about that mm-hmm. no we we were just in each other's face chirping each other and then i just nothing nothing big it wasn't a malicious headbutt or anything but you know his his neck kind of snapped back a little bit more probably yeah. than it it should have but three gamer for that one yeah so so you're saying he embellished a little bit there's a good photo out there where he's <laughs> i i I could give I could punch someone as hard as I could in the face and his neck wouldn't be at uh, ninety <laughs> wouldn't have a ninety degrees uh, like this <laughs> snap back. But I understand. Yeah. Um. So you had uh, you had mentioned earlier about uh, university. You went to one of the premier universities for hockey in the states here in uh, Maine. Uh, did were they after you? Is that something you you were interested in? Uh, were there other schools that were interested in you? How did that process go when you ultimately uh, decided to go to Maine? It was actually a very long process. You go to the USHL, you see the stats, right? 97 or 98% go division one. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you make the USHL, uh, at that time I was like, okay, I'm guaranteed to, it's going to be easy. I'm going to have options. I'm going to, you know, it's just going to happen. Well, it turns out, um, some team, you know, teams would come in and out, uh, I, I was uncommitted right before playoffs my second year. And it, it was really a week before playoffs my second year that I made a com- uh, I was committed. I had uh, basically two options. The other option was uh, St. Lawrence. And uh, it was Craig Carvel, who was there at the time, who was at obviously won championship with uh, UMass Amherst. And he was this visit was fantastic. It was honestly a 50, 50, such a difficult choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I ended up committing late, uh, Reg Enrin, uh, the late Gendron, Reg, Red Gendron ended up, uh, obviously, uh, passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but him and Ben Gite gave me that opportunity to come to, to go in there and, um, and play. And I'm thankful for that. How was the transition from the USHL to uh, Division One college? Difficult, difficult. Yeah. A lot, a lot of guys were tougher with their cages on. <laughs> uh, yeah. A lot of guys, a lot of guys were tougher uh, from their cages on. The guys that were in the league who had played me in the USHL uh, respected me more than some, you know, a kid straight out of high school that from uh, from Massachusetts who was playing at BC who didn't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting, uh, in that sense. Mm-hmm. I remember my coach not being happy with my discipline, thought I was a little bit too, uh, 
too in the box too many times. So we've had I had a lot of conversations about okay, we we need you on the ice. We can't have you in the box anymore. So uh, it was it was an adjustment just kind of playing playing the hockey, mm-hmm. but it gave me the opportunity to find a way to can't you know to to just become more of a well-rounded hockey player right like mm-hmm. in order to stay in the lineup now if you you can't go out and fight someone you need to be you need to go you need to make a play you need to execute you need to kill a penalty and those are the things that are going to give you more ice time those are the things that are going to give you more opportunities and so uh, you, if things are if shit hits the fan you can't just fight someone and be like okay this guy wants it no you have to show you want it in different ways and so it kind of gave me the opportunity to do those things. How was, um, I've never been to a game up in Maine. Um, how, how are the crowds? Uh, obviously it's gotta be massive. Uh, best crowds in college hockey, they say. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's true. Mm-hmm. Student sections right, a, right a above their zone. So every time first and third period, you finish a check, mm-hmm. the student sections is right over. And so you hear kind of a little, a little roar every time you finish a check. Nice. Um, Obviously, or you score a goal, but uh, I did one more than, than the other in my four <laughs> years there. Um, uh, great crowd, obviously, great crowd. I remember lineups being, we would show up to the game and there would still be a lineup going, you know, a couple hundred yards. So wow. uh, the the people of Maine are, uh, are dedicated and loyal to their hockey team, and it's it's a great place to, to play college hockey. Who do the fans of University of Maine hate the most? UNH, without a question. Yeah, I think Cornell said the same thing. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's like a bloodbath. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not even a question that that Maine UNH rivalry. Whether you're playing uh, at UNH or you're at Maine, uh, <laughs> there's some there's some crazy signs. I remember this one time. Uh, one of my years, there was a big, big, big bed sheet with uh, someone. I, some must have been in the art school because this was a great, <laughs> it was a great drawing of the, that UNH cat mm-hmm. with like a a big penis going in its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the size of like a, a king size bed. So you're in the rink, and all you see is just a giant, giant penis in in the student section. That's amazing. Uh, going into the mouth of a of a cat. So oh man, uh, yeah, UNH, and I end up in the, my pro years. You end up playing with a bus, with with everyone. I, you know, Michael McNicholas, uh, Danny Tyrone. These are all guys that played at UNH. Later on, you play together and mm-hmm. you kind of laugh about it. And that that rivalry is on the ice. And then once you get to know these guys, obviously we're we're all in the same domain. We all work hard. So. How was it going into their barn? Always crazy. Their student section was was pretty pretty cool too. Right behind our goalie, they always had a whiteout. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, one time Ben Hunt and I in warm ups sold out barn. It's warm ups. It's sold out. And Ben and I we collided. Uh, just both of us on the ice in warm ups. Stick flew out. So. <laughs> Uh, one of my more uh, embarrassing times, but at least I did it with, <laughs> I, at least I did it with a future NHLer. So it's not go. that bad. 
<laughs> and uh, I'd see, you know, as a freshman, and I know, I know how much, you know, like I said, I've known your dad for a bit. I know your dad is like a Renaissance guy. He's an artist. And I know how serious he takes academics. So when you're coming home with the main scholar athlete, rising star and being named to the all academic uh, hockey East team, uh, that's an accomplishment. Uh, and I'm sure that was something your parents were probably pretty proud of. Yeah, no, I, luckily for us, we had a lot of resources, um, to help us if, uh, if we needed. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why I tell a lot of kids that don't like school. I, I don't like school. Well, they, you, you, your provider resources and, and solutions. And a lot of times, as long as you show you want it and you're, you don't cut corners, well, prof professors are going to enjoy you mm -hmm. and enjoy having you in the classroom. So that's what I always tell the guys who like a reason to not go uni college university route is that they don't like school. It's like, mm -hmm. you, unless you're, you're going in to be a uh, rocket scientist or uh you know, mechanical, uh, chemical engineering, mm -hmm. you, you're going to, you're going to have resources to succeed. Mm -hmm. So kudos to all those resources. Now you also, uh, played with someone who's a, a second generation player. You know, his dad played in the NHL as well. Um, Chase Pearson was a teammate of yours, uh, at yeah. Maine. What do you remember about playing with Chase? Well, Chase and I were roommates. So okay. Ch Chase and I, uh, this is a, another funny story. Mm -hmm. Our dads had played together with the Chicago Wolves mm -hmm. in uh, in '99, I believe. And I remember being a young lad, and Chase and I would smack empty chew tins to each other okay. as as little kids, mm -hmm. right? Fast forward, I don't know how many years later. We're, uh, we're roommates at, at Maine, mm -hmm. and uh, Chase, obviously, captain captain our second year. So, mm -hmm. uh, terrific player. I had a chance to play with him in Grand Rapids this year again. Mm -hmm. uh, terrific player, two-way center. Uh, very competitive. Him and I would always compete each other in face-off thoughts and whatever game you can make up. So, um, he's, you know, I think a player that probably – deserved more in his uh, North American career. Mm -hmm. um, I know he got that game. He got a couple games last year, but watching him play, he plays the game the right way. So, What's it like playing uh, a hockey game at Fenway Park? Unbelievable, especially <laughs> when you win it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you win it. Uh, talk talk about that whole experience, like even just going in and seeing. You know, I'm assuming that before you took warm, you know, whatever you saw the ice on the field, like just in regular street clothes. Like what what is that whole experience like? It's crazy. You're just starting off, you're getting dressed in the in the bullpen, and uh, pretty good crowd too. I remember. I think it was like ten to fifteen thousand fans. And the one thing I'll remember is when you score a goal, the noise wouldn't be on top of you. It would be from far away. Yeah. So the, the, the sound was really, really different. It was like a, a roar, but from, from far away. Uh, obviously, great, great experience. The weather was unbelievable. Um, it was a close game. We, we ended up you know winning the game, made it that much sweeter. Really thankful for that opportunity to play at Fenway. 
Um, another guy that you ended up playing with that uh, I think really NHL fans became acquainted with this season, especially was Jeremy Swayman. Uh, what was it like playing with playing with him? He's he's not a bad goalie. So uh, I actually just spoke with Sway uh, before I got on with you. Sway and I okay. remain very very close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I, I helped him move into his place in Boston uh, last summer. He's going to come visit me here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Sway. Terrific, terrific goaltender, terrific yeah. young man. Um, he's, uh, you know, I was a senior. He was a freshman, mm-hmm. right? So I remember on his visit, his dad, Kenny, uh, I was a junior when he came in on his visit. Mm-hmm. And Kenny kind of came over to my apartment and, you know, I was asking the questions, you know, how, how you know, how is it? The questions he wasn't going to get from the coaching staff, mm-hmm. maybe, you know? And... Um, I was suspended uh, that game on his visit for something. I don't remember hockey-related. I don't really remember why, but I was suspended the game, and that was the game. So Jeremy and I sat in the stands together, mm-hmm. watched the game, and then the year after he came in, we uh, we were we were great friends, and through that we kind of stayed a connection. Like a lot of the same mm-hmm. same things. Uh, he loves, uh, obviously, he's from Alaska, mm-hmm. loves the outdoors, mountain biking, um, training, all things we have in common. Obviously, uh, a, a good person. Uh, I think we both like, he likes to surround himself with good people, and I, I like to say I do the same. So, um, hopefully, he can, uh, he can get paid, he can get paid <laughs> this, uh, this off season and, uh, and be the starter as he deserves to be so. That's, I think that's only a matter of time. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. He's, he's earned it. So it's only a matter of time. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it is a matter of time. I think Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's overdue. I think Mm -hmm. the time is, is now and hopefully, hopefully it can be with the Bruins. Yeah. If not, uh, there's, there's a lucky team out there. So your college career ends. How did you end up with the Pittsburgh organization? Mark Dennehy, who was the coach at Merrimack, got the job in uh at wheeling Mm -hmm. and really liked the way merrimack played they always had a very tough team to play against structurally obviously not having the higher end guys compared to some of the other hockey schools they don't have a choice to play a certain way Mm -hmm. i was like okay well i can trust that he's gonna he's the team's gonna play the right way and so uh that also bill garen who uh who was assistant gm at the time uh, ended up reaching out to me, kind of selling it to me that, hey, you come, it's on an ECHL deal, we're going to take a good look at you in the, at the American League level. And between that and Mark Dennehy signing, I was like, okay, I'm on board. Obviously, I would have liked an AHL opportunity. Mm-hmm. Statistically speaking, I, really, I didn't really have a good enough stats to get that contract out of college. Mm-hmm. So I went, to, uh, I went to Wheeling. I ended up getting an invite to the rookie tournament with the, with the penguins. I got, they went down, I got short the last minute, Bill Guerin called me. Do you want to come to a rookie tournament? Never in a million years did I think I was going to make it to that tournament. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting that opportunity where, uh, I got a fight in. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was uh, happy to get a fight in there and kind of mm-hmm. just live the experience. You know, it's, it's something I could kind of check, check off my list. 
And uh, Mark Dennehy actually didn't end up being the coach. It ended up being Mike Bavis mm-hmm. uh, from Boston, who was uh, a, he was associate head coach with BU mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, and uh, kind of Mike, once wheeling, Mike kind of gave me the green light to do what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, within within his guidelines, but he let me play. He let me. He really believed in me. Uh, and he just let me fly. He just let, hey, I trust you. Go do your thing. Go do your thing. And I went from very structured in college to a, a coach. I was like, go do your thing. Fight people. Go score some goals. And so um, that year, I I kind of had the trust in my coach. And with that trust, I was able to, to, to do some stuff with that. Do you remember who you fought in that rookie tournament? Uh, yes, it was, uh, his first name is Devante. He played in Tucson this year. He played in the Butsford mm-hmm. last year. Stevens, Devante Stevens. I'm not sure. Cause I'm, last name, you say Devante. I'm Stevens. thinking of all the NFL players with that name. They're all in my head right now. I think it's, uh, I think his name's Devante Stevens. Okay. Um, yeah, he. I just. I was trying to get a fight. We were mm-hmm. playing the Binghamton, and they had uh, Baddock, who was a mm-hmm. big boy. Yeah. Um, and I had. Uh, we were down a bunch of goals, and I was like, obviously challenged their bench, doing that first impression thing I mm-hmm. was talking about earlier, and kind of happy he said no because he, <laughs> he's, he's a big boy. But uh, um, ended up that next game. Uh, squaring up with, uh, I think his, his name is Stevens. I ended up okay. finding him and it ended up being okay. a good scrap, good good center I square up. I I can't wait to get into the season with you because I, I'm looking at the numbers here. I, you know, for a guy, you just came out of college, and like you said, you didn't have the stats coming out of college. I think you explained it perfectly. You had the confidence of your coach because – 44 points in 71 games. By far, you led the team in penalty minutes. It looked like you were the lone gunman on this team. Aside from that, you led the team in goals. You were fourth in scoring, and uh, you were sixth in the league in penalty minutes. This was, I mean, I'm I'm looking at this year, and I, I'm almost dumbfounded that you only got one game in Wilkes-Barre. Now, I know sometimes guys get called up and they don't play – doesn't count as a game, but I mean, 71 games in Wheeling, the numbers you put up and the, the way that you played, I'm shocked you only got one game uh, up in uh, Wilkes-Barre. Oh, yeah. I Well, my first, so that year, actually, at Christmas, I, I had four goals. Okay. Up to, up to Christmas, I had four goals because I was playing a little bit like my college style. And then post-Christmas, I adopted a more of a, more of a feeling, okay, mm-hmm. played Less like a robot, more of a feeling. You know, mm. player gives you left, you take right. The defenseman takes takes right, you take left. More with this approach, all while going out the net. Uh, couldn't do it alone. Had some line mates that would deliver pucks to the net, and I would kind of just hang out at the net. Um, what happened was, I think again, this is all speculation, yeah. mm-hmm. but um, they we only had a futures trade with Manchester. And the the deal was Wheeling can only protect one one forward 
And our leading scorer, Nick Saraceno, obviously they were going to protect him. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else could get chosen by Manchester. Mm-hmm. Now, they uh, Wheeling found a loophole that they can only the other team can only take a player on an ECHL contract. Okay. So what so what they did is I, I got a call and said, Hey, Wilkesbury is gonna sign you to a one way HL deal in Jan- early January for the rest of the season. Um I didn't know all this at the time. Right. I didn't know about the futures trade or anything. I thought I was like, oh cool. Like yeah. I'm doing well. They want to give me a contract. So obviously I, I took the contract and what I was told is if I wasn't going to sign that contract, I had other teams potentially that were going to call me up and I would have probably got more games. Mm-hmm. So once I signed that contract, obviously you're at the mercy of the American league team and Wilkes-Barre is always a team who has a big budget, who mm-hmm. carries a lot of players. There's always, you know, six, at least six to 10 HL contracts in the East coast hockey league. Right. Mm-hmm. So, there wasn't only me. There was a bunch of other HL contracts that were HL or NHL entry level, even that were in the East Coast. And so um, I was just kind of at the mercy. And then that game I played ended up being the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was no, you know, I had I had fortunate two good bounces, two goals that game. Um, I, I think you make you make some of your own luck though. That year, I think you made all your luck. Yeah, but. Obviously, if I had an if if that wasn't the last game of the season, yeah, and I have that game, maybe I get a maybe I get a second game. Right. Unfortunately, it was the last game of the season. Yeah, and um, and and that was that. The American League is a is a develop developmental league, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not if you're not considered a prospect, unfortunately, it's it's difficult. That off season, I figured I'd get a, a I'd get a nice contract mm-hmm. with the season I had. Well, it, it, you know, I ended up scrapping a, you know, like a, as you're, we're probably going to get into a, mm-hmm. a two-way contract with, uh, with Charlotte, mm-hmm. but it's, it's nothing's ever given, you know, you need someone to believe in you and you need someone that, tr- that, that trusts you and is ready to give you that opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I just, like I said, I'm going through this season. I'm like, man, this is, what else could you have done? I mean, I guess for your own peace of mind, you, you couldn't have done much more to warrant a call up. I mean, honestly, no, 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 yeah. there's nothing. There's nothing I could have done more. I played every single game that season mm-hmm. other than one I was suspended for. Um, but looking back on it, it's not the worst thing I did. Yeah. I didn't get called up anywhere mm-hmm. because it gave me that chance to lead my team in goals. Like I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'll ever have that opportunity to do that again in my career. Mm-hmm. And I, I can say I did that once. Right. So, I'm I'm happy and I really like the guys that year. Uh, really great crew of guy for to to be in a place like Wheeling, West Virginia, where there's not much going on, uh, and still enjoy your time there. It speaks volumes of yeah. uh, of the group of guys we had. And I'd imagine in Wheeling, West Virginia, East Coast Hockey League, those fans must have loved you. Yeah, no, they they like a good they like a blue blue collar <laughs> guy who works hard. So, yeah. uh, but going back there after when I'm on, they don't really like me no. when I'm on the other team. <laughs> I, 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 a couple, yeah. a couple of them do. Yeah. Um, 
Shout out to Anna. She's she's she was a big supporter of me. Um, shout out to her for for that support. But uh, a lot of her uh, of her of her uh, peers there. When I went back, I I figured I'd get more love, but nope, they, they didn't get it to me. <laughs> well, you're you're in a pretty good boat there. You're like John Tavares when he comes back here. The fans don't love him so much anymore. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can compare me to John Tavares if you want. I'll take it. <laughs> I got nothing else to say. <laughs> I figured you wouldn't mind that. So yeah. So your uh, your first uh, first foray into the East Coast Hockey League scraps, you had a two fight game against Norfolk. Uh, the East Coast Hockey League they drive me crazy. It's I always say it's a league that kind of made its bones on its physical play, but now they do everything in their power to get rid of the the videos and stuff of the fights. So not a ton of these on video. Uh, but you fought Jake Wood and uh, a pretty good scrapper in Daniel Maggio. Do you remember that that game where you had your two fights against them? Was that my first ECHL game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wood came in, hit me, tried to kind of was running around a little too aggressively. I don't mind setting the tempo off the season with a fight. So I actually I just kind of instigated that one. Mm-hmm. I I dropped and then I. I gave him a couple of good ones, and then uh, the rest of obviously first game of of the season, mm-hmm. a lot of excitement, a lot of adrenaline, a lot of energy. Uh, that that Maggio fight wasn't much of a, a fight; it was more of, he kind of instigated, kind of a one uh, uh, a sucker punch in mm-hmm. front of the net. Um, I'm not going to say more yeah. than that, yeah. that hit. It was it was a dangerous. I had my gloves on. I just got punched in the face kind of in a, in a scrum. Uh, unfortunately the refs don't always get to lock up the, the, the arms there in those scrums. So one of the things I really like about you is, uh, you, you have a great personality, but you also carry that on the ice and your next two fights were against a Cincinnati player named Arvin Atwal. And, the video is is out there, but it's from a distance. But it looked like in the first one, he might have got the better of you, and he sort of celebrated a little bit. And then in the second one, in the rematch, after you got the better of him, your celebration after uh, to the Cincinnati fans, uh, it almost seemed like you were mocking him a little bit for his uh, exuberance after that first fight. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I... I... I don't have issues with guys who uh, who celebrate after fights. I've never done it. Right. Not once in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think my dad's ever done it either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't I I've I've never I've never really pumped up the crowd or anything mm-hmm. after a fight. It's not the yeah. first thing I think about. Right. I, I have other thoughts in my mind. Um, and so that fight kind of a it was kind of a scrum fight and. I don't really, I don't really have, I don't really have time for that. So obviously, yeah. when when I saw, I, I had the opportunity to kind of send send a message to him that it was kind of silly what he did the prior. Then I, I took that opportunity and kind of did the same yeah. uh, celebrate, same, <laughs> but I just kind of exaggerated a little bit. Yeah. You know what? I got, I I got off the ice so excited to do that that the referee still had me grabbed and like as I'm trying to get up <laughs> and start my start his celebration i i got yanked back down yeah. by the ref so i just that's a funny clip yeah so for for you folks out there listening definitely look for those on youtube and just watch them in order because i i 
thought it was hysterical your your celebration and it was so obvious that you were mocking him it, it made it so much better to watch yeah um, yeah no less <laughs> fight after that you fought a pretty tough guy who would eventually be your teammate uh do you remember fighting travis Howe? yeah yeah howie obviously tough guy yeah, real, uh, tough. real tough kind of another one of those you fight him and you aren't automatically get a little a little bit more um uh i don't know if respect is the right word but kind of uh validates that you're that you're kind of ready to go and uh a lot of credit to to howie because obviously howie's ready to fight anyone at any time Mm -hmm. and we were behind the net i was like okay i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna go and i think i dropped a knee and he had the opportunity to uppercut me one more and 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 he and he laid off so uh a lot of respect for howie there and was fortunate to play with Howie uh, a year a year later. Uh, it's uh, better to be his teammate, I'd imagine, than be squaring off against him. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> he's 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 ready. He's he's ready. He's he's a guy who makes the uh, the ultimate sacrifice. He's the type of guy who makes the ultimate sacrifice a hundred percent of the time for for his teammates and. As uh, as you know, those guys um, and does it at, you know at the East Coast level mm-hmm. this year at the American League level for for a bit. I mm-hmm. uh, was really happy to see that for Howie's sake. Yeah, uh, but he he's done he did it a while at the East Coast level for like we've talked about right for the salaries that isn't worth that job. Yeah. Um, Zach Sar. Uh, Kalamazoo, you fought him twice. Um, I didn't see him. I don't know if it's anything uh, noteworthy, but uh, you know, whenever you see two fights in a month, I didn't know if there was anything more to it. He's a big, big body. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I remember them going well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't re- remember more than more than that. There's nothing. Okay. Uh, someone I was fortunate enough to meet this year. I went down uh, to Florida. I spent the uh, morning with the Solar Bears. I met uh, Sean Sidlowski, and I believe you fought him twice in your career. The first time was uh, you had a two-fight yeah. game against Fort Wayne. You fought Cody Soul, and then uh, Sid. Uh, do you remember that game? I do. I remember that game like it was yesterday, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fort Wayne, obviously, really fun place to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're always known for for having some tough guys and they as soon as you sign with the Coleman's I feel like they they drink that uh, I heard this in another interview they, they uh, Coleman Kool-Aid <laughs> and they just kind of they you know, they're pretty tough mm-hmm. and uh, I remember I had fought I had fought uh, Soul mm-hmm. and uh, he's a, he's a he's a big he's a big boy mm-hmm. He's a really big boy. I ended up doing great against him. So, like, okay, you know, I got got my got my fight in, and we were beating them that game, I think. And towards the end of the game, um, Sidlowski kind of challenged me. Mm-hmm. We ended up we ended up getting like a, I think like a uh, coincidental or something mm-hmm. like a like a, a roughing, mm-hmm. and then. 
he had asked me, we go in the box. He's like, you want to go right, mm-hmm. right, like outside the box. <laughs> and uh, I don't like, I don't like fighting when I know I'm about to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like that that wait period. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? Like, okay, yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And then, uh, you know, we come out of the box. We both drop. We square off. And I remember squaring off against him, and he, and he looks so comfortable. He looks yeah. so confident. <laughs> He's like looking at me with like a half smile, like, mm-hmm. like we're about to fight each other. Why is this guy smiling right now? <laughs> it's like, I don't like this. And, uh, and we end up, uh, we end up in a scrap. It was a really good scrap actually. Yeah. It's a, it was a really good scrap. Um, both throwing them probably one of the, where both sides are throwing them back and forth, back and forth. I, I don't know where I, have you seen that one? No, no. I, I think I have it somewhere. I'll send it to you. Okay. But it was it was uh, a really good scrap where both of us were just kind of throwing back at each other, back at each other. And I remember guys talking to me about him in juniors, like, "Okay, this guy, this guy's tough. Like yeah. this guy, this guy used to score goals, walk and beat the shit out of guys." So, uh, yeah. Um, tell me about January fifth, twenty nineteen, against Toledo, the Gordy Howe hat trick. Yeah, no, so pretty pretty cool moment. Uh, kind of a power play secondary assist. Mm-hmm. Didn't even realize I got the Gordy, to be honest, uh, until uh, after the game. Mm-hmm. Um, got, uh, obviously, a, a pass on the PK from Zach Lynch, and I just kind of shot it and went in, and then um, – the fight was uh, was against uh, Brian Moore. Brian Moore, which mm-hmm. I think him and I had together, just what fights majors together. I think we had like over fifty pims on each other. Is that right? Just all season, just uh, going after each other a little bit, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what happened. Which I'm pretty sure I actually uh, assist. Then the fight, then the goal. Okay, I think was was the order. But mm-hmm. um, cool, no cool moment. Yeah. Obviously, anytime you get to do a Gordy Howe hat trick is, yeah. is is awesome. So, uh, and then you alluded to it earlier. You get called up for that last game, Wilkes-Barre. One, you know, your AHL season that year, one game, two goals, and like you say, if it wasn't the end of the year, they'd have no. I mean, they'd look foolish to send you down, but as you're playing your first AHL game, are you thinking, man, this is easy. I get two goals in this game. Uh, You know, it's, you gotta be like that season must've just been unbelievable for you. Just confidence must've been through the roof. And I mean, just looking at that year, that must've just been an amazing season for you. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I, I got to play that game with, uh, with uh, Yushiro Hirano, mm-hmm. he's a great friend of mine to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, just won the. Uh, he's Japanese. He just won with his country the, I think double IHF, uh, the uh, the Division One B. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going they're going up. We got to share that that game together, that first game. And so he became the the first Japanese player to record a, a point in the American League that game. Oh yeah. On my goal. Nice. On my goal, yeah. So that was a pretty cool moment to kinda to kinda 
do that together. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, no, like you mentioned, finished on a high. You you, you feel like uh, going through that offseason with a lot of excitement and, and um, kind of a reason to, to kind of keep climbing that uh, building off what you just did, essentially. So I don't. I don't foresee this as being a legitimate option at this point. I'm not even sure if you're aware of it after that season. And before you ended up signing with Charlotte, uh, are you aware that you were drafted into the uh, LNEH? Yeah, I think you have a process. <laughs> yeah. I, I get, I get redrafted every year. I okay. feel like. It's like, uh, you get drafted and they, they, you get drafted and they release you to get drafted. So, mm. um, yeah, I I don't know. They 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 usually they do everything on Facebook. So I'll yeah. get like a DM. I'll get a DM on Facebook. Like, hey, we just drafted you. If you want to mm-hmm. come, let us know. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I'll I'll let you know if, <laughs> if that I ever cross the uh, and, and ever end up going that direction. So there you have part one of my conversation with Cedric Lacroix. Please tune in next week for the conclusion, part two of my chat with Sweet Seti. Until then, folks. You people out there, please stay safe. Mm-hmm.